0: Good morning. Looks like the light is on. I think I'm okay. All right. Uh, Yeah, that uh, video I just found this week, and so I wanted to begin to use it. I posted it on my Facebook page and using it online as a kind of an introduction to the to the kind of peculiar ministry that we've been uh, a part of focusing a lot of our time on the last Few years in our uh, outreach to college campuses, you know, as uh, as the video alludes to, and and even Pastor Joel, uh, when we in our campus ministry with Campus Crusade or Crew, whichever you prefer now, um, when we kind of look at a, a, a campus of thousands of college students, we're always trying to diagnose. Hey, what are the best ways to really make the message of the gospel really clear and easy? for a student to grapple with and understand during their several years, maybe four, maybe five, maybe more, of college experience. And one of the things that we've learned, especially in today's world, as the demographics, the the cultural and racial demographics of our country continue to change, is that our generally kind of white campus crusade culture isn't good enough. It's not good enough for to To really speak the Gospel well into into the cultural language of many of our students. Increasingly, more and more, soon more than half of our students don't have that kind of a cultural heritage. So I'm a part of a group of people who are really pressing our ministry to kind of learn how to move and shift and develop these uh, ethnically oriented and culturally oriented, Ministry, so that on a particular campus, for instance, uh, let me use one that you're familiar with, Penn State University, there's a large campus crusade or crew group, Penn State. It's probably mostly white kids. But then there's also a, a, a significant group of Asian American students that are also affiliated. They call their ministry EPIC. And there, there's a, a group of our staff who work just with international students reaching out to international students and scholars that have come to Penn State. And so these different groups allow us to get the gospel more fully and properly to more of these people because we believe that college ministry window is a precious, precious opportunity uh, to change lives of students, to change the world for Christ. That's the part that we like to play. So just uh, to end my commercial for crew... And get to the real heart of the matter. Outside in the foyer, I have a little sign-up sheet. If any of you would like to receive our newsletter, either by email or by snail mail, you could do that. And also, I put together a short little update, half-page ministry update, that tells you a little bit about how our family is doing and some prayer requests about our family and ministry. So enough of that. I'd love uh, for you to turn with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 14. I didn't pick this passage randomly, uh, or out of a hat or anything. But as I was uh, spending time with the Lord this uh, a few months ago, I really had such a a deep time of studying Mark 14 that I thought I, this has got to be a message uh, that I can give in some places. So you're stuck with it, I guess, as a result of that. I'm going to read aloud uh, Matthew uh, Mark 14:1 through 11. And I'm reading from the ESV uh, version. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him, that is Jesus, by stealth and kill him. For they said, well, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There was some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. This morning I do want to say how good it is to be back in Millersville. I'm uh, I i I'm in denial... That it was actually 30 years ago that I was an undergrad at Millersville and worshiping in these pews. Uh, I, 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 I know it, it's true for everyone who as they grow older, but I just can't, I keep thinking, where does three decades go? What happened? Uh, and yet it's wonderful to be back and, um, I'm here alone. My wife Helen and our boys Jonathan and Andrew are back in, in Boston. Jonathan uh, is a homeschooled junior and he's, Been a huge part of a Shakespearean play, Hamlet, and they did their performances Friday and twice yesterday. And uh, tomorrow, Andrew starts his spring lacrosse practice at his school. So there's no way the family was coming to Pennsylvania this weekend with me. But I'm in town for a few days doing some visiting and and, uh, staying with my parents, who still live in the the big city of Corrieville to your south, the bright lights that you see down there on the horizon. That's the big city. And uh, I'm delighted to be back. But as we, and uh, we're so appreciative that we're missionaries of your church and you support us financially and prayerfully. And so uh, we're really grateful for that in all our ups and downs and challenges in ministry. We know very much uh, how much we need uh, to be connected with you and for you to connect with us. And so thank you very much. As we look at this passage of scripture, I reflect on a couple of things that I hope we see here this morning. Uh, I hope that it it helps us begin to prepare for Easter, because the the text kind of fast-forwards us to that week, that last week, the beginning of that last week of Jesus' earthly life. And I hope it also reminds us, as we look at uh, this passage, of our deep need for God to work in our lives on a regular basis, to free us from all forms of greed that would kind of creep in and steal our devotion to God. I I think we're going to notice that there's a very strong contrast here between giving and between grasping, between Mary and Judas. And I think also we will see the patient majesty of our Lord Jesus shine forth from these verses again in a way that I hope we will honor and bless him. So, the setting here in Mark 14 is just before Passover. It's the beginning of what we would call Holy Week, very near Jerusalem. And the text we're we're centering in on Mark 14 is one of three texts that the Gospel writers use to explain this particular incident. Mark, Mark 14, Matthew 26... And John chapter twelve all give a separate account of this actual event, the event where Mary pours this oil, this costly, expensive oil and anoints Jesus at this dinner. Uh, Luke does not give this account, but he actually talks about a different situation that sometimes confuses the reader, because Luke in chapter seven, gives an account of Jesus at another dinner with an unnamed Pharisee, and a woman, a woman of kind of ill repute, comes in and weeps and anoints Jesus as well. But that has to be a different situation that happened earlier in the ministry of Jesus, because here in Mark 14, and through Matthew's help and through John's help, we put the picture together, we see very clearly that this woman was Mary, the sister of Lazarus, not a woman of ill repute, but a woman with a wonderful heart uh, to worship the Lord. And uh, while the situation has some similarities, it's different enough to be a different account, a different situation. What I love about looking comparatively at the Gospels like this is it constantly reminds me that while the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, did not, they didn't give us everything that happened in the life and the ministry of Jesus And they didn't give us all the exact same details, but when you put them together, it helps fill the whole thing in in a beautiful way. And they gave us, really, everything we need to understand what God wants us to learn from the text. And so I hope that's going to be true for us this morning. The specific situation at hand, of course, is that Jesus was having dinner in Bethany, which was a small town right outside of the old city of Jerusalem. And his host was a man named Simon the leper. We don't know anything really more about Simon the leper. kind of had a strange name, I think. Uh, But Matthew 26 tells us that the disciples were also present at this dinner. And John 12 tells us that Mary and her sister Martha and their brother Lazarus were also in attendance. And it is John who graciously gives us the identity of the woman saying, this was Mary who did this for Jesus? This is Mary, who is the sister of Lazarus. And this is Lazarus, who recently was raised from the dead by Jesus. This is Mary, who her sister Martha complained about earlier in the gospel because she sat at Jesus' feet and listened to him teaching while Martha was left doing all the work of the household and preparing. And you may recall it. She complained to Jesus about it, and in Luke chapter 10, verse 42, Jesus said, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So we see in Mary a little bit of a character of a person who really loves and worships the Lord. And so she was able to to take something very valuable and actually convert it she was taking wealth, a very expensive perfume, and converted it into riches by spending it, by offering it out to the Lord Jesus. What we know about this is that it was a flask of alabaster or some kind of container of alabaster, uh, a white or translucent stone that in those days was used to make uh, vessels used for you know, special events and to uh, house expensive ointments or, or perfumes, the uh, the ointment is called nard, which was a perfume from the dried stems and roots of a plant that was native to Asia, and often it was imported from as far away as India to the Holy Land. So nard was expensive. Uh, this wasn't just some cheap perfume you buy at Rite Aid uh, down at the corner. It was uh, obviously expensive and typically reserved for its use for very special occasions. Well, of course, for Mary, this was a very special occasion because this was Jesus, the one that she was following as Messiah. This was Jesus, the one who had raised her brother from the dead. This was Jesus, and she vividly wanted to express her love and devotion to him. How do we express our love and devotion to Jesus in the 20th, 21st century. Well, we're not physically present with him to be able to, to do something like this lavish act of anointing him with, with expensive uh, ointment. But do we, uh, do we enter into our worship wholeheartedly? Are we able to really think about the words that we sing and we praise, uh, and when we're by ourselves and there's nobody around to kind of join in the worship with us do we offer him our sincere everything then as well do we share our heart openly with him and 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 do we give him thanks and honor do we remember all the blessings that he's given to us count them one by one mary took a very valuable possession and she lavished it upon him and this idea of anointing, again, can seem very strange to us. I, I think of somebody reading the Gospels for the first time and saying, what in the world is going on here? What did, what, why is she pouring this on Jesus' head? Um, but anointing has a great biblical precedent to it, which Mary, of course, was familiar with. In the Old Testament... Uh, it was Samuel who anointed Saul and then David. And then the different kings of Israel over time were anointed. And their leadership was shown and, and the, the, it was asking God's blessing upon them and recognizing God's authority in their lives through anointing. Even the, uh, the elements that were used in the tabernacle of old and the priests were anointed with oil as part of their service to God, to be set apart for service to God. So anointing has this image. And by the way, Messiah means anointed one. So it was quite natural for Jesus to be anointed. Although the way it was performed by Mary in this setting obviously was a little unnatural. She took... This role boldly in a room probably, possibly primarily filled with men, and she came and she took this very expensive ointment and lavished it upon Jesus. Now, it says that he was reclining at table, which means probably he was, you know, slanted down, maybe maybe leaning on one elbow, kind of in the kind of Greco-Roman way of eating. And so she got the, uh, the oil on his head and somehow she got it down on his feet. I don't know. I'd kind of like to see that on video to figure out how that happened. But, but uh, she lavished this liquid upon him. She didn't just give him a little dollop. When my uh, pastor in Boston uh, gathers uh, a group of us around to pray for a sick person, according to James chapter 5, he takes this little drop of oil and anoints it on that person and we pray for them. Maybe someone who's going through a great sickness or cancer. And we pray together, but he just gives this little drop of oil. Uh, Mary dumped the whole thing on Jesus. And not everyone thought this was a great idea, did they? What was the reaction that was given? And no one apparently applauded. No one perhaps even nodded their head. But instead, there was this indignant response. Why did she do this? Just think of all the money that that costs for her to dump this uh, liquid on Jesus. Why, we could have we could have sold that and used that money to distribute it to the poor. What a waste of worship by Mary. And so it went. And you can almost think of Mary listening to this immediate reaction. And maybe she kind of begins to get, think, wow, maybe I did the wrong thing. I felt prompted by God to do this, but maybe this was really foolish on my part. But Jesus would have none of it. And he said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Jesus immediately came to Mary's defense. What Mary did was so lavish and extravagant, And a demonstration of pure love and devotion. And Jesus was not going to allow her to be berated for that. He didn't just say, hey, it's okay. It was a little weird, but it's okay that she did this. Can you imagine with the nard dripping down his hair? But no, he said she has done a beautiful thing. He elevated her gift of worship in the highest way. And he didn't stop with that, did he? He had more to say about it. He said, yeah, you could give the money to the poor, but frankly, you're going to have plenty of opportunities to help the poor. And indeed, as Jesus instituted the church and started our ministry as Christians, he wants us to care about the poor. He cared about, he preached to the poor. He lifted the poor up. He's commanded us. do that. This is not about neglecting the poor. But Jesus said, you know what? You're going to minister to the poor, but what Mary has done, she did something that, frankly, none of you understand. She anointed me for my burial, which is going to happen a lot quicker than you realize. Jesus knew, and he understood. I don't believe that Mary knew that. I don't believe that any of the disciples fully understood that. But Jesus knew. And then he took it even a step further. He said, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So while Mary got a rebuke from some of the disciples, and it's John who tells us that Judas was in the forefront of that rebuke, that it was Judas who maybe was the most outspoken one, Maybe Judas actually stood up and pointed at her and said, why did you do that? What a waste. And then John says, frankly, Judas didn't care about the poor. He was a thief. And he had been taking money. He had taken money from the money bag that he kept for the group of disciples. So John unmasks Judas' motive completely and gives us his powerful comparison. Here's Mary. Mary who... Already in Scripture we had seen that she had a heart of devotion to the Lord Jesus. And whatever she understood about his ministry, she understood enough to know that he was the Messiah and she wanted to follow him. And she was a fully devoted follower. No, she wasn't one of the twelve hand-picked disciples, but she was devoted. And so she took possibly the family's most expensive possession. We don't really know how wealthy their family was but she took a great expensive thing and said i'm going to give this to jesus i'm just going to pour it out on jesus because he's worthy of it and she did not even know how significant that act would prove to be one week later when jesus was dead so we have this comparison we have mary who gives freely and uh it, like the money just flows through her fingers and she doesn't care how much this costs if she can give it to Jesus. And then we have Judas, who immediately thought with dollar signs in his eyes. What a waste. Oh, we could have had that money. And perhaps I could have had that money. Judas, who instead of giving extravagantly, grasps at it. And what Judas got was a rebuke from Jesus. What happens next in uh, verses 10 and 11? We get this picture that it was very soon afterwards, perhaps that very night, perhaps the next day, we don't know exactly when, that Judas, perhaps stung by the rebuke of Jesus, perhaps once again feeling that tug of, materialism or greed or that sense of "Ah, I want money going to the high priests secretly and saying hey what will you give me if I give you Jesus and they promised him money and he was glad they were glad to promise him money and he took it for a fistful of dollars he turned from worship to grasping for a prophet. You know, another contrast between Mary and Judas, of course, is that uh, Mary gave freely, and she probably never regretted it. But Jesus got, or Judas got his 30 pieces of silver, but he never had time to use them, did he? He never spent them. One gift goes on for all of the church history. So that today in 2012 in Millersville, Pennsylvania, we're talking about Mary and what she did. And Judas got nothing. What a contrast. I think a final comparison is worth looking at. It's something that I've been thinking about. And I've been thinking about this. Am I more likely to be like Judas or Mary? Now, at first, I really want to say, Oh, hey, I worship God. I believe in Jesus. Of course, I'm more like Mary. I mean, we came to worship this morning, didn't we? And if if we could have been with Jesus in the flesh, we would have done anything we could for him, right? But when I think about Judas... And Mary, and I I compare them again, I think, okay, who spent more time with Jesus? Mary or or Judas? The answer is Judas. He was one of the close disciples. Who heard more of Jesus' teaching and got to absorb it over a three-year period? Judas or Mary? Well, Judas, because he was... We don't know how much Mary was a part of things, but Judas was definitely there all the way. Who got to see more miracles? Who got to actually participate in that small group Bible study with Jesus and his disciples? It was Judas. Judas got the best teaching available directly from the Son of God. To whom had Jesus given a personal invitation? To be his disciple. Mary or Judas? Judas. Judas was hand-picked by Jesus. Now, we say all this because I, I don't want to think for a moment that Judas was the worst person in human history. Yeah, he's gone down in history as doing the worst thing. But I don't believe he was the worst person. But I believe, and what I think this passage helps us see, along with others... Is that perhaps there were a series of bad decisions that Judas made that created this downward spiral as Jesus' disciple. There's not a lot of material to study in the scriptures about Judas. But what we know is that he was right there with all the rest doing the ministry, being part of it. And yet something in Judas grasped for more. Something in Judas was greedy. How did he get that way? We don't really know his background. How do people get that way today? Well, sometimes we feel financial pressure. Sometimes we might be tempted to cheat a little bit on our income tax or cut a little bit of a corner in terms of honesty to to, uh, to alleviate our need. Sometimes we might um, kind of regret giving because we feel that we need it so much ourselves. We might see someone give an extravagant gift to Jesus and think, oh, that's an outrage. We could have done something so much better with that money than waste it that way. And then we find ourselves becoming more like Judas. Now, the Scripture doesn't tell us after this event that Judas went to Jesus and said, Jesus, you were right, you were right to rebuke me. I was wrong, and I want to repent. I want to change. I realize that I'm too caught up in greed. I need help. Will you help me? See, that can we can do that. And we can turn back and become fully devoted followers of Jesus. More like Mary. But Judas did not. The downward spiral finished. And that very week, it completed its ugly cycle. And Judas betrayed Jesus for a purse of coins. And here again, we see the majesty of our Lord Jesus, who fully understood, I believe, what was going on in Judas' mind. And I can imagine that Jesus totally saw the spiral in Judas's life has he made bad decisions or has he maybe lost this battle and gave in? And then, as the scriptures say, Satan entered into him and he went to the high priests to, to give away Jesus. And yet all Jesus does in this case is gives Judas a rebuke and says, leave Mary alone. He doesn't do any more. He doesn't stop him but he does give him a rebuke. I feel like there are times in my life when I feel God's rebuke. And I hope that I listen and I turn back and I say, oh yes, Lord, I have got the wrong perspective. I have blown it. I want to worship you extravagantly. I want to If you prompt me to do something for you, like Mary, I want to say yes. I don't want to be the one who objects like Judas. How do we avoid the Judas spiral and the grasping? And how do we hear the moments when God prompts us to do wonderful things for Him? I have a little illustration of that from Friday night. I was driving to an event with my youngest son, Andrew, who's 16, and um, we were in the car together, driving and just talking about things, and he said, you know what, Dad? When I have my quiet times at night, and I perked up because he doesn't always tell me about his devotional life, he said, when I have my quiet times at night, I'm amazed even though I'm using this quiet time guide that's kind of out of date, it's kind of last year's guide, he said, but I'm using it. And I'm amazed that when I read those passages of Scripture, almost all the time there's something right there for me with what I'm thinking about today. And I said, yeah, isn't that amazing how God's Word works like that, Andrew? And I'm thinking, as a parent, I'm thinking, oh, this is a priceless moment. Thank you, Lord, for my son. But Andrew illustrated what I think is so true in my own life as well. If I will stay in the Scripture, if I will go daily into God's Word and say, what do you have for me? What do you have to sh- reveal to me in this that's going to shed light into my own life, that's going to help me see, am I, am I moving like Judas or am I, am I moving like Mary? Shine your light use your Holy Spirit to convict and convince me in the Scriptures, then I'm on the right track. And if I'm talking about that with other people, if I'm in a community, if I'm connected to other believers, chances are God will shepherd me and guide me and I will be able to live my life for Him. That's my hope for Andrew. That's my hope for every student that I disciple or I sit down with and share the Gospel with that they would be, come on the track of being a worshiper like Mary. That whatever God gives them in life, they would take it and they would turn it into riches laid out at, at Jesus uh, before Jesus as an anointing before the Lord Jesus. And that's my prayer for you today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that though the messenger may stumble... The message of Your Word is so rich and so powerful. And I thank You for it. I thank You for Your giving us this precious Bible and its clarity into our lives. Oh, may we be like Mary, and may we turn away from being like Judas. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.